it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Hope everyone had a great night. I was a little stunned by the news we got late last night, and uh, we'll try to put in perspective today with Jonathan Turley, who's standing by, and Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, a Republican out of Oklahoma Armed Services Committee. And that center's liaison to the House as they try to work out a substantial deal, not on just military aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, but a substantial deal on the border. And we're not just talking about money. We're talking about asylum changes. And they want to be able to communicate with the House regularly so when the Senate spits something out, the House can hit the ground running and we could get some input along the way. So it's going to be a very valuable conversation. You don't want to miss it. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, look, I think President Obama is doing exactly what he should be doing, which is reminding Democrats it's time to to focus on the election. I think what he's saying to folks is it's time to it's time to focus. It's time to be concerned. Jim Messina, of course, worked with Obama for years, Democratic operatives to the Trump machine looks to lock up Iowa. Seventy million look to seventy million dollars look to put Haley in contention in both New Hampshire as well as Iowa. DeSantis still has an eye on winning the caucus state. We'll have the latest on 2024 as well as the Democratic side. Number two. It is language that is meant to divide us. Um, It is language that I think people have rightly found similar to the language of Hitler. Sadly, I think that there is something perverse that has happened in our country. Really? Hitler? That's kind of uh, shocking, but not really. Record surge, 12,000 plus, flood our southern border. And not a word from the White House. And an idiotic explanation from Kamala, who blew off her assignment to stem the flood three years ago. Instead, they dwell on Trump's words and they think it's Hitler. Do you really think Trump is reading World War II doctrine? Number one. It puts this on a rocket docket for the Supreme Court. They've got to get involved. They've got to get involved, first of all, because there's not much time to make a final decision. And they also have got to get involved because this is dead wrong. I think they're wrong on the law. Yep, Jonathan Turley uh, weighing in late last night. Colorado election earthquake as left-wing judges kicked former President Trump off the ballot in that state, citing insurrection akin to our civil war. What does it mean for the quest to be president and be number 47? What about other states preparing to do the same thing? Our only hope, perhaps, the Supreme Court. Once again, Jonathan Turley joins us now. Jonathan, I saw last night, that's as concerned as I've ever heard you last night on a court decision. It really bothered you more as an American than a legal expert, I felt. Am I right? It does bother me quite deeply. Uh, This is exceptionally dangerous. I mean, it is an an anti-democratic opinion. And it could set us on a course that would be incredibly destabilizing for our system. You know, our system is not perfect, but the one thing that it can recommend itself for is that it's been stable. It survived crises that reduced other countries to a fine pumice. And so we have a system that's built to last. This is introducing a new element. This is introducing the ability of states to effectively block 
the leading candidate for the presidency by barring them from ballots. And it'll result in a tit for tat. And this is something that is quite familiar in other countries. This is the way things are in places like Iran, where they have ballot cleansing, where you have, you know, people in government tell you who's just not uh, appropriate for you to vote for. And we're looking down that road. Now, quite fortunately, we have a Supreme Court that I think will make fast work of this. I think that they're just dead wrong uh, on the history, on the language, on the interpretation of uh, the 14th Amendment. What so, was striking, but yeah. go ahead, I'm sorry. I was just going to say for, for everyone listening, this isn't the first time this has been brought up. Uh, this, uh, these uh, other states have brought these loose uh, lawsuits forward and they've dismissed them in Minnesota, New Hampshire, Florida. Uh, Idaho, Utah, Oklahoma, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Maine. They all brought it up, and they all said, no, there's nothing. They, this was not an insurrection. It's not akin to the Civil War. We're not doing it. But waiting, uh, pending appeal, Arizona and Michigan, Vermont, New York, Oregon, New Jersey, New Mexico, Virginia, Nevada, Wisconsin, Texas, Alaska, South Carolina, West Virginia, Wyoming. Are we going to go through this 13 more times? I don't think so. I think that this is now going to be fast-tracked to the Supreme Court. Yeah, what's really striking about this opinion is that they had a series of interpretive barriers to get to this outcome. There's a series of hurdles they had to, to get over. They adopted the most sweeping possible interpretation at each of those hurdles in order to get this result. The only part of the opinion that is narrow is when they deal with the First Amendment. Then they become incredibly narrow, and they, they'd say that Trump does not have any free speech protections for his January 6th speech. So it's a real, you know, neck-breaking change uh, in the middle of the opinion. Uh, and so there's lots of reasons why the Supreme Court would overturn this. The other thing I want to note, by the way, I noted last night, you know, this is a court composed entirely of Democrats. And to their credit, three of these justices refused to sign on to this thing. And many of those those jurists in other states that have rejected this, in my view, unfounded theory, were also Democrats. And they did that not because they had any loyalty to Trump. It's because they have a loyalty to the Constitution. And, you know, I think we have to remember that that there are plenty of Democrats out there who understand how dangerous this is and how wrong it is and how anti-democratic it is. And I'm still hoping, just because I think this would be a, a healing moment for the country, that the three liberal justices on the Supreme Court could join their colleagues in saying no, that this is wrong. Right. You know, uh, I, it just, I, 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 the reason... I'm so alarmed, is we've gone through over 200 years of trying to perfect democracy as best as we can, as a people of good faith. We've come too far and too long to reach this point where you have these four justices that would convert this country into the type of system that we see in places like Iran, where voters are simply told, you can't vote for this person. And the fact that Trump is surging right now and, and Biden is on the ropes only makes it more 
disturbing. It's like right. having a boxer on the ropes and the ref calling the match for him. So listen to how other channels are covering this. They feel obviously uh, differently. Watch. This is not a crazy thing for a democracy to do. This is mm-hmm. um, this is this is something that was a hallmark of post-war Germany. It's it's not unheard of. It's very much like the reasoning of the conservative legal community. And yes, the courts have the authority to enforce the 14th Amendment. There's no getting out of this for the Supreme Court. Even failing to act or acting slowly will be acting. The conservatives on the Supreme Court who usually go on and on and on about states' rights are hypocrites, and they are (laughs) comfortable being hypocrites, and they will overturn Colorado's own state court process, but they shouldn't. So those are the so-called legal experts, except Rachel Maddow weighing in there first. Uh, they they were a pretty, I guess, caught by surprise a little bit, but think that it's the right move. And I think that's where we're seeing a lot of confirmation on other channels. Believe it or not, Donald Trump's opponents, Vivek Ramaswamy, Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, and even Chris Christie, all don't like the decision. Yeah, the hypocrisy on this is stunning when you listen to those other stations. First of all, it's utter nonsense that this is a states' rights issue. This is the interpretation of the United States Constitution. Okay? This is not just the interpretation of some state law. You know, the, the, the justices don't say, well, okay, those four justices on the Colorado Supreme Court says the 14th Amendment means this. We just have to sign off on it. It's just ridiculous. And when people say things like that that are knowingly untrue, you have to really question their veracity. And right. so, yeah, it's going to go to the... Uh, Supreme Court. Uh, And I do think that it will be overturned. The key here, however, is what those liberal justices do, because they need to put this not just to rest. The theory is ridiculous. But they need to do it in a way that brings us together. And I hope that these three justices do not allow that moment to pass. Right. Uh, And I hope if the Supreme Court justices uh, come out, I hope it's 9-0. Uh, so people can't just say, well, these are Trump picked these justices and they're just rewarding him that even though we know that's not the truth, that's how it'll be interpreted. So the Colorado secretary of state was ebullient last night, just thought this was the best move ever. Listen to her reasoning. Cut for my job as secretary of state is to make sure that only qualified candidates appear on our ballot. We routinely do that with all types of candidates. Uh, and just like I wouldn't allow Arnold Schwarzenegger on the presidential primary ballot because he is disqualified for not being a natural born citizen, uh, a person, a candidate who is disqualified under Section 3 of the 14th Amendment similarly would be barred. Ultimately, it is up to the court systems. And right now, the, the highest case that we have says that Donald Trump is disqualified because he disqualified himself when he tried to steal the presidency from the American people. <laughs> Add a little opinion at the end there. What are your thoughts about her reasoning? Yeah. Well, you know, it's obviously she has to say that, but there's a big difference between language like you have to be a natural born citizen, or you have to be a particular age, and what happened here. Even these four justices admitted that they were on uncharted territory, that this was not clear. Uh, and three of their colleagues, it basically the court split down, virtually down the middle, it was 4-3, uh, and three of their Democratic colleagues refused to sign on to this thing for obvious reasons. 
And so this is really falls into the only doctrine that they're applying, in my view, is the Oscar Wilde doctrine, that the only way to be rid of temptation is to yield to it. And they did. They yielded to it. And the people that have been pushing this theory, and they have failed in state after state, just kept going to blue states until they could find judges yeah. that would, would sign off. Well, they found four, and I guess we shouldn't be shocked. But down deep, am, am I alarmed? Yes. But I'm more, I, I'm more disappointed that anyone uh, sitting on a court like the Colorado Supreme Court would take a hatchet to democratic values the way they did. And by the way, the people that said, you know, conservatives are all about this type of reasoning, that's ludicrous. This opinion is so sweeping in its interpretation, I can't find any limiting principle. I can't find any way you couldn't use this against many others. I mean, they actually say that you could go back to 2016, which they did, and pull speeches from Trump and say that that's evidence of his intent on January in the January speech. And so they're, they're saying that we don't even have to use your words at the moment or even shortly before or after. We can go years in the past and say you were building to this moment. Yeah, they say January, the January 6th report was something they also looked at. And they said that, by the way, do you, uh, don't you think real quick it was relevant that Jack Smith has not charged him with it? How do you remove someone because you think they had an insurrection when it's never been charged? It's not even being litigated. Right. And we know that Jack Smith threw everything he could at Donald Trump, short of an endangered species violation. I mean, he anything that he could make out, he put in that indictment. But the one noticeable thing was he did not charge with incitement or insurrection or sedition. And the reason is he knew he couldn't prove it because it, it's not there. January 6th is a lot of things, none of them particularly good, but it was not an insurrection. Got it. Jonathan, uh, we're going to be watching your coverage and see how this develops. When we say quickly, what does quickly mean in Supreme Court uh, with the Supreme Court calendar? I would think that the Supreme Court would be moving on this within a matter of two weeks. Easily. Two weeks. OK, uh, I think that they have no choice. Got it. And it's not just primary ballot. It is the ballot the, the, in November. Right. Jonathan Turley, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Brian. Uh, so if. Have you ever heard him talk like that before? This is serious he considers this. I mean, this guy's done congressional uh, testimony nonstop. He's been a, attacked in very uh, aggressive situations. I was watching Jonathan Turley last night, and I was alarmed because he was alarmed. And he just feels it's terrible for the country. It would be great. It would be great if President Biden came out and said, you know, I, like, I, I cannot wait to go against Donald Trump. I'm going to beat him. But this is not the way I want to beat him. I would love for him to say that. Because he's a lawyer, not a very good one, uh, didn't have great grades in Syracuse, but is a lawyer. Uh, all right, when we come back, your turn, one 408 Then we go out to Senator Mark Wayne Mullen over in Oklahoma. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, actually, he's still in Washington, uh, but he's representing Oklahoma. Back in a moment. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. 
I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in freefall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. What we saw in Colorado, I will tell you that I don't think Donald Trump needs to be president. I think I need to be president. I think that's good for the country. But I will beat him fair and square. We don't need to have judges making these decisions. We need voters to have make these decisions. So I want to see this in the hands of the voters. We're going to win this the right way. We're going to do what we need to do. But the last thing we want is judges telling us who can and can't be on the ballot. I give, a, I give great credit uh, to uh, Nikki Haley for coming and saying that. She could just say, I don't know, you know, Donald Trump's always in legal trouble, and this is more of the drama that you'll get if he wins election. But instead, I think she said something that I hope Joe Biden would say. Uh, I hope Joe Biden would say, yeah, I saw what happened. I, I'm a lawyer. I, there's no way that Colorado's got it right here. You got five Democratic judges, five uh, uh, let me see. No, seven. Five were appointed by uh, the senator, uh, by uh, two by Polis, and one was by five by Senator uh, Hickenlooper when he was Governor Hickenlooper. Hickenlooper. So uh, you know where they stand. But just please, can someone do the right thing? You can't make up a charge that he's being charged with and then conclude that he's convicted and then just kick him off the ballot because you hope he doesn't become president. You know what? I, you know, how about this? Let's say five years down the line. The Democrats pick a presidential contender who can speak and motivate and inspire. Very upbeat. He's an Anthony Robbins type figure. And he talks about how unequal society is and the Republicans are trying to destroy the country. And they're trying to seal the border and kick out all Hispanics. And they're going to get people crazy. And all of a sudden, because of his speech, they go and turn around and they burn down an entire city. You know, they get somebody who misinterprets this fiery language and they just burn down a town. People die. It's going to be a state that's going to go, this guy is an insurrectionist. He should not be president. I'm kicking him off the ballot. Oh, what's the president? Oh, I kicked off Donald Trump. They kicked off Donald Trump off the ballot over uh, January 6th. He wasn't convicted of anything either. They didn't put anything on him. There was allegations, but there was no, there wasn't even charged with it. So this is this is the precedent. I mean, you see it right now with the impeachment inquiry. People are saying, why is he, you know, why didn't you just do an investigation? Well, why would we bother? You guys did an impeachment inquiry on Trump. He concluded that he, he colluded with uh, the Ukrainians and he was trying to uh, uh, get information on a political opponent. So we used an impeachment inquiry there and it turns into an impeachment. Let's just do it. See, everything becomes easier. It becomes a cycle. Let's impeach uh, Bill Clinton. Before that, it was Richard Nixon. And then next thing you know, it's... Donald Trump twice. Think about how much how easier it's going to be down the line, too. Bad precedent. Can someone think long term besides me? A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. There was a time in this town in Washington, D.C., where 
President Bush, John McCain, even Lindsey Graham uh, agreed this should be bipartisan. Let's fix this thing. But instead, they're playing political games for the sake of trying to create some sense that that there, that there are no solutions other than holding hostage aid to our allies who desperately need America's assistance. What is she even talking about? Uh, it's uh, she wants to use this opportunity to show that anybody who wants to crack down on the border is racist. Uh, and you know who said that? Congressman Castro said that. Just about every member of the squad said that. Now the vice president's indicating that. The biggest failure of, of anybody's career, and for her, was her lack of interest in doing anything constructive at the border. And now yesterday they set an all-time record. It's a record nobody wants to break. 12,000 came in. I have no idea why the Senate's even going home for Christmas. Senator Mark Wayne Mullen is working so hard to get some substantial asylum changes and uh, new rules at the border to stop this flow. He's with the Armed Services Committee coming out of Oklahoma, working in Washington now. Senator, welcome back. Can you believe yesterday an all-time record? Yeah, Brian, first of all, thanks for having me on your show, but absolutely we can. I mean, you ought to see the border and the people coming up there. Uh, it is it is absolutely absurd. And, and here's the thing. Seventy percent of the individuals crossing the border right now are from other countries than Mexico, than Mexico. So this isn't this isn't our 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 neighbors to the south. This is everybody taking advantage of that border. And the solution is simple. Uh, a lot of people don't realize there is a pack between Mexico, the United States and, the, and Canada that says that it's called first country, meaning the first country you come to, you're supposed to claim yeah. asylum. And Mexico enforces it, and Canada enforces it. So if someone is in America trying to go into Mexico to claim asylum, which no one would, but I'm just saying, or vice versa, going into Canada, they don't accept them. They say, no, you have to claim it in, in, in America. America is the only one that does it. And so now we have we don't even talk about the northern border because we have a huge problem up there, too. It's not as big as a problem, but it's a problem. And now Canada is doing the best they can to stop it, but people are taking taking advantage of that because we've had to pull off a tremendous amount of resources from our Canadian or northern border and put them on the southern border. So it's left that border almost wide open. In fact, uh, the majority of the security on this northern border is coming from Canada. And all we have to do is simply claim or change the asylum process and say, which it takes literally a stroke of a pen from the president to sign it once Congress passes it, to say that you have to remain in the first country you come to to claim asylum. Now, that's similar to the stay to the remain in Mexico policy uh, that Trump had. But uh, they can't do that. You know, the Biden administration all thinks Trump is bad, even though all things Trump was actually really good for the country. But uh, but if they would do that, you would stem the flow of the of the of the illegals crossing it by 70 percent immediately today. That could literally go into effect today and would take no additional resources, not a single dollar more. So when I'm talking to somebody in, in Senator Mullen here, everybody that is in, involved in these negotiations and is in, in one of his jobs is to explain to the House and keep the House up to date on what's happening with the Senate. So they're not shocked by what they get and understand what they need in order to get this to pass. So what's possible? I get the sense and maybe I'm naive that they that there are Democrats that really want to get something done, maybe because they see it's a problem or maybe they just want to get Ukraine and Israel aid. 
What are the what? How sincere is the other party? Every Democrat that's opened this up for reelection wants to get this done. The problem is they're walking a very thin line between their base that's a very, very, very outspoken and radical uh, that they don't want any type of security. Remember, this is the defund police. This is the amnesty group. This is the one that doesn't want any uh, recognition of our border. They want a complete open European-style border. Uh, that's what the radical left – and keep in mind because they were well, – Senator, since when do we the, care about the radical left? I mean they're – Well, you, because we have to negotiate with them. But, but uh, why do – like the guys like who, – who are you negotiating with on, on the Democratic side? Oh, uh, well, we're negotiating with Hakeem Jeffries, um, for one, because he's a leader of the Democrats on the on the House side. Um, and then you have to you have to work with the with Chuck Schumer, who is absolutely a bliss to the whole situation, but he controls the Senate. And then you got you're not nego- we're not neg- being able to negotiate directly with 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 Biden. That's not, and we're not negotiating directly with Harris either. We're literally negotiating with their staff. And you think about the the individuals that they've hired, all based on uh, on on race and equality on and, and equality, not the best people in place. You put it based on certain numbers that you want to hit a demographics. So you you have individuals that don't have a, a, a real touch of reality. It's all politics for them. But here's the real politics behind this. The Trump, or the, the Trump administration was strong on the border, and American people know that. They also know that this administration has had a disastrous border. And so 70 percent, literally across the board – in fact, we see numbers now as high as 80 percent, but I'll just use the latest polling that I saw – was 70 percent of the American people, regardless of, of party affiliation, libertarian, Democrat, independent, Republican – Say that something has to be done yep. on the border. It's a national security. It's a national security issue. So it would be in their favor to do something. But do you know what the Democrats' proposal has been to us? What they want over thirteen billion dollars for processing centers. They want they want to put processing centers on the southern border of Mexico, so we can process the individuals faster for asylum. And then when they get up here, they want more money for the courts so we could process the individuals. Instead of taking six to eight years, we could process them in four years. And the only thing that they're talking about on, on number changes as far as asylum, they want to stem the number by like, say, 100 individuals a day. They think that's stemming the flow of it. Now, it's some interesting numbers here. I know I'm throwing a lot of numbers out for people, but I just try to put it in perspective for individuals. During the Obama administration, yeah. we, we averaged 21,000 asylum seekers a year, a year. And they said it was literally a national emergency at that time. And, and we're doing that now every other day, every other day. It's insane. So, so here's your, your leverage. Your leverage is Ukraine aid. I absolutely yeah. think it's worth it. I think they they fight like warriors over there, and they deserve uh, a chance. They just want to fight. Uh, the right. other thing is uh, Israel. Obviously, we got to back them, and Taiwan's got to get ready to fight to to avoid us having to get in there. So it all works, maybe for both parties. However, you also have leverage because these Democratic cities are overrun. We have Mayor right. Adams here, who sounds like you. He, we are so overrun. And by the way, we got almost 100,000 in hotels. We're all filled up. Now we have tents in Central Park. We have fields that are taken over. We have no fields in New York City. And they're all being taken over now by illegal immigrants 
who are now throwing out the free food we're giving them. We're giving them laundry service, too, because they don't like it. $460 million worth of food. $7 billion, $6 billion is going to cost us this year, $7 billion in the city next year. And now you have uh, Texas, who's taking things into their own hands and are now passed a law that they're going to be able to arrest people themselves and expel them themselves. So your comments on what I just said and how it plays into your negotiations. So it, it, here's the thing about negotiations, right? You need to bring everybody to the table. There's a bunch of Democrats that don't want to even pay attention to to the illegal immigration issue. Um, but a lot of them want uh, want you, uh, funding for Ukraine, and I'm one of those guys. So I'll tell you, I'm not a Democrat, obviously, but I think we have an obligation there because of the Budapest Memorandum of 1994 to stand Ukraine. And so I, I'm one of those. But it, it, negotiations are bringing someone to the table. There's people that want border security. I'm one of those. There's people that want Ukraine aid. I'm one of those. And there's people that want yeah, – well, all of us that want Israel, which is the exception of the squad. So there's something in there for everybody, and now you just got to bring them to the table. They just can't back off of it. They have been so awful on the border that they can't, they can't find a ground to which they can say face on. And instead of just saying, hey, look, we made a mistake. Let's fix the mistake, which the American people are very gracious and can accept that. Um, they just won't do it, and and so we are we are we are stuck, and we're not even asking them to build the wall. I, we know that's political. We're just saying stem the flow. We can get the we can get the, board, the wall built when Trump gets reelected, but, but right now let's stem the flow of the illegals by simply making the asylum change. It is not hard, but you well, cannot get this through their so head. So you're it saying right now they're stalemated, Senator Mullen? Yes, 100% we're stalemated, and we're not going to move on this. I'm telling you right now, Brian, we, the Republicans uh, in the Senate, in the House, we are we are not moving. This is what our this, – this isn't a, a give and take. This is, this is something that we said that we are going to have to have. We've already – We've already gave a lot of what we wanted. H.R. 2, which the House passed, was the gold standard. That's what we want. We've negotiated off of that, but we're not negotiating any farther off of that. We're, 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 we're as far down as we're willing to go. We're, we're going to have substance change to this border. And keep in mind, the last time this border – we had actually immigration reform was in 1985. Mitch McConnell was a freshman and, and Ronald Reagan was the president. That's how long ago this has been. So it looks like Mitch McConnell and Chuck Schumer had a joint statement yesterday. They say passing uh, legislation sending billions to Ukraine, Israel, Taiwan, and the southern border. They had a rare statement uh, to leave, as they prepare to leave town. The two spent Tuesday praising the momentum of negotiations between Cinema, Murphy, and Langford, as well as Biden officials and Mayorkas. They both acknowledge much remain to be done. So what and your input on that is way too optimistic? Uh, I think it's way too optimistic. Um, I think we will get it done, but there are some serious issues between us, and we and we cannot negotiate with Schumer. Schumer is nothing but a puppet right now. Uh, we have to we have to negotiate with the with the White House, but we're going to have to get Biden. Mm-hmm. And engaged in it because his his staff will only go so far because they can't make any any changes. I tell you honestly, who we need to be negotiating with is probably Biden's campaign because they know this is a huge uh, hole. Yeah, you're you're saving them. You are helping yeah. them. You realize that. 
Oh, well, but but we're trying to save the country. It's I know. It's kind of like this give and take. But, yes, we are doing them a huge favor if they would simply take this. So I want you to hear, just to, to, uh, to talk about the crazies, this mayor of Chicago, what an abomination. He comes yeah. out and is blaming Governor Abbott for the fact that he has 10,000 people <laughs> in Chicago. Cut 18. We have a governor, a governor, an elected official in the state of Texas that is placing families on buses without shoes, cold, wet, tired, hungry, afraid, traumatized. The governor of Texas needs to take a look in the mirror of the chaos that he is causing for this country. And it's all because his sanctuary city status, he doesn't want to own up to it. And this governor should not be forced to digest these thousands of people daily because he happens to be located in the South. Yeah, well, how how about the the mayor of Chicago take care of his city, Uh, own, own, own leadership, take responsibility and see what you can do about your own city. Um, there's there's crime running rampant. You decided to put a, call it a sanctuary city. Uh, if you want a sanctuary city, then why don't you take the individuals? Texas didn't do this, and I think uh, Governor Abbott is doing a phenomenal job by making sure that he's um, spreading the love, if you want to say, since he's since these uh, sanctuary cities uh, want to call themselves that. He's spreading the love and letting them letting them uh, live up to their words. Yeah. Uh, And by the way, the sanctuary city status, he will not put it on the ballot because he knows the inner city are are rejecting it. They resent these people getting free stuff when they're going paycheck to paycheck. This is what happened. This has become an issue that we could actually agree on. Like China is our number one enemy. I think as a country, we can agree on the border has collapsed. We as a country can agree on the governor of Arizona and Senator Fetterman sound like. Uh, Langford and you uh, in Oklahoma. I mean, they are saying sounding the alarm it, because they see it too. Uh, it, it doesn't take long for people's eyes to open up when you have real numbers. We're not even talking about the terrorists and the terrorist watch list. The numbers you hear, like the 151 uh, known terrorists that we've captured in the last 12 months, those are known terrorists. That's not the terrorist watch list. We have we have twice that number that we have captured on the terrorist watch list, meaning that they're terrorists. They just haven't been deemed that. We just think they're right on the around the verge, or they're negotiating, or they're they're associating with really bad people. The the Democrats know this. They get in, they get briefed on this in classified briefings. They know the type of individuals we see. We see the high rise of the Middle East coming across our border. Now that means they're flying into someplace in Central and South America. And they're coming up and using our border to enter our country illegally. Um, it, it's it's absurd. But here's the biggest thing too. I, I, this is we're our laws are what encourages this. And what I mean by that is our asylum laws encourage us, but also it's it's darn near impossible to come into the United States with this administration legally too. Um, there's an individual right now that uh, has it's a friend of mine. He he's a he has a long-term girlfriend that's in Mexico, and she has a job. She has kids. She has a house, and she can't even get a, 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 a an appointment to get a vacation visa to come up here by herself, not with her whole family, just her and uh, yeah. just her by herself. She has young kids, not until 2025, yet you can come into America free without doing any of that. We'll give you a phone. We'll give you a plane ticket. We'll give you a place to live. We'll give you food. It's we'll crazy. give you money. And we're going to give you a piece of paper to say that right. you're legally here for four to five years. 
Senator, it's crazy. Thing. I have a situation with Canada. Uh, uh, my my daughter's uh, boyfriend from Canada, same situation. It's unbelievable the restrictions and how strict they are. Uh, and then then it's all hell breaks loose in the south and in the northern border. Appreciate right. what you're doing, Senator. I hope we could talk about the progress in January. Let's and everybody at KQOB, appreciate you on over in Enid, Tulsa, KRMG, and Woodward, KMZE. Appreciate you joining us and updating us uh, and those of your Thanks, stations Brian. in Oklahoma. Love your show. Talk right. to you later. Thank you. Uh, thanks so much. Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Yeah, just, uh, I just, I get the sense something big's going to happen. I'm a little discouraged by the reality uh, that Senator Mark Wayne Mullen just brought up that they are not nearly as optimistic as was painted and released yesterday between Schumer and uh, and McConnell because I don't th- I think they're on the same page with the goals, but they, they were so scared to death of their left wing. And I think it's a little bit like the right wing is a lot of conservatives are scared to death of the Freedom Caucus because they blow them up, you know, right? So I think that it's great to have people way in the left and way in the right. but And you got to make your stand and you got to say this is – but. To block everything all the time and make it impossible, we definitely need asylum changes. If we're building soft-sided facilities, if we're just processing people with more judges, that is a waste of time, and I'm going to be angrier than the day is long. But I think that if you change asylum, if you promise uh, verification, if you also, I think we got to get some money to build the wall that's already been paid for, that they're selling off at pennies on the dollar. So uh, hopefully something is done. I wouldn't be going home for Christmas. I wouldn't. I'd say, guys, you're staying. And you'd be surprised how much is going to get done in six days if you tell your Fed they have to tell their families they're staying in Washington for Thanksgiving. But the leadership doesn't have any guts. But you look at these people on the border right now, 14000 a day, they're not going to be taken off for Christmas. I'm sure they don't even have reinforcements. Some got to work overtime. And that matters. Brian Kilmer. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coming to you from Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world, where there's nonstop protest. It's so uh, it's so aggravating about everyone coming out, not for Israel, but against Israel. Uh, anti-Semitism, pro-Palestinian, uh, but you get to the bottom of it, it is pro-Hamas, which is, should be unacceptable in our country. It's like being pro-death and destruction, being pro-annihilation, uh, being anti-American. But that's what's happening in New York. Greg Glukioff will be with us this hour, too, president of, found, uh, of the Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression, author of a new book, The Canceling of the American Mind, and Lieutenant General My, uh, Mike Lennington, who's uh, with the Wounded Warrior Project, Dave Bonson, standing by. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, look, I think President Obama is doing exactly what he should be doing, which is reminding Democrats it's time to to focus on the election. I think what he's saying to folks is it's time to it's time to focus. It's time to be concerned. Yeah, it is trying to be concerned, Democrats. Jim Messina weighing in, a Democratic operative. Trump machine looks to lock up Iowa. It's very impressive. They got $70 million, uh, looks to uh, put into Haley's coffers. They put her into contention in Iowa. Ron DeSantis still has his eye on winning the caucus state. We have the latest on the left and the right for 2024. Number two. It is language that is meant to divide us. 
Um, it is language that I think people have rightly found similar to the language of Hitler. Sadly, I think that there is something perverse that has happened in our country. Uh, that is uh, Kamala Harris weighing in, talking about Hitler every time she gets a chance. Record surge, 12,000 plus flood the southern border. Not a word from the White House, but they're worried about the words from a former president of the United States. Uh, we'll talk about that. Number one. It puts this on a rocket docket for the Supreme Court. They've got to get involved. They've got to get involved, first of all, because there's not much time to make a final decision. And they also have got to get involved because this is dead wrong. I think they're wrong on the law. Hey, here we go. Uh, Jonathan Turley weighing in was joined us even earlier uh, last hour. The Colorado election earthquake. A left-wing judges, left-wing judges kicked former President Trump off the ballot in that state. Now the Supreme Court will pick it up. Other states are standing by. They want to do the exact same thing, citing insurrection, something he has not been charged with. But a lot of people like to throw the word around. The judges thought it would be a great idea to make history for all the wrong reasons. Our only hope, the Supreme Court once again. Uh, David Bonson manages $5 billion of the Bonson Group. has got a new book called Work and the Meaning of Life. It's coming out in early February. He writes a daily column on DividendCafe.com. You see him all over the channel. Uh, he joins us right now. David, welcome. Hey, Brian. How are you? The number one issue uh, in the country is the economy. Number two is now immigration. Um, I just saw the messaging and the message to President Biden. Stop saying things are getting better and are great because – it is turning people off. Why? Yeah, I think that there's a sense in which for middle class voters, they don't want to hear how great things are. They don't feel like things are a lot better. And, of course, at a high level, there's statistical things always that you can say are good, statistical things that are not good. And you can't talk that way. The way I would talk as a finance guy is really bad politically. You know, I can make points that are true empirically, but it's not going to get through to voters. Voters are more emotional. They want to connect with the reality. President Biden does not talk about the economy in a way that makes it sound like he understands what people are going through. Right. He looks at the numbers and said that should be fine. But also, he's never been in the private sector. Well, and a lot of politicians haven't, and there's always a big difference when you haven't been in the private sector and you just simply don't have that connection to what, you know, we call kitchen table issues really are. The market surged this week over news last week about possible rate cuts coming this year, uh, next year. Mm -hmm. I've never you, – you do this every day. I've never heard someone forecast rate cuts uh, potentially the way three in a row for next year. The market seems to love that. Austin Goolsby, now with the president of the Chicago Fed Reserve Bank, has a different interpretation. Cut 32. If you look at the employment side of the numbers that you described – They've been extremely strong. If you look at the inflation side, while we have saw improvement in 2023, they haven't been good. We had inflation. We've been dealing with an inflation crisis similar to the crisis facing a lot of the advanced economies. And the only thing I will say is we always cared about consumer sentiment because it was a good leading indicator of actual consumer spending. But over the last 10 years or so, its role as an indicator of consumer spending is kind of broken down. Mm. So mm -hmm. for whatever is the reason that's driving that divergence, which has never been bigger between the actual numbers and how people feel. And he listened to the Fed chairman. He went on to say and said, I didn't see any guarantee of cuts. He said, when I listen close, I don't think necessarily cuts are coming. 
uh, Goolsby has been calling for cuts or indicating he thought they ought to come uh, for about four months. And that those comments he made after Chairman Powell's press conference were totally against the way Austin himself has been talking. Uh, the rates cuts are coming, and they were fully priced in the market before Powell spoke. The outrageous thing, just in terms of the shock and awe of it, was that he basically just came out and admitted it. And and so the financial markets are leading the way here. They are too tight. They've raised rates too much. They need to come down. Inflation is back down in the 2% range. The only reason it's still showing three is this ridiculous idea that housing prices and rents are still growing at 7 or 8% a year because they're using data from a year ago. The leases that were signed one year ago are showing up in the data now. The fact of the matter is that Chairman Powell let this thing go way too long, and the financial markets are pricing in not three rate cuts. They're pricing in six rate cuts. Were you someone that also thought he waited too long to raise them? Oh, of course he did. And I think that there's no question that going to the 0% level ever is dangerous because it's hard to get off of it. And then what he did that I think was most reckless was told the markets we're going to get up to about 1% or 2% in the next year, and instead he went to 5 so not only did he wait too long, he kind of indicated to markets that they were going to go slowly raising rates and they went very quickly. That's really what hurt some of these regional banks and so forth. It totally froze the housing market. It did. It did. And not just the buyer side, the sell side. You can't sell a house now you have a 3% mortgage on and go buy a house that you can't afford. You, you can do a bigger home. You're ready to upgrade. You got a nice raise at work. Your family's ready for a bigger, nicer home. But now you're going to have to borrow at 7%. So sellers are frozen and buyers are frozen. So if the, the, if the, the rate comes down, the only reason the rate would come down, of, of David, I don't get my feelings aren't hurt if you want to correct me. But the only reason, the only way rates come down is if they're convinced that inflation has peaked. And um, are you convinced that inflation? Oh, I'm completely convinced inflation has peaked. Inflation was primarily caused because they shut our world down, and the world's been reopened, and we are producing goods and services again. And so there's been a lot of talk that I've disagreed with from both the right and the left about the cause of the inflation. But the fact of the matter is, core goods inflation right now is zero percent. What does that mean? Just the price of goods. Core goods, yeah. Yeah, ex- excluding energy. And so you you have um, a lot of reasons to believe that the inflation issue has come way down. But I don't give the Fed credit for that. But I didn't give them the primary blame to begin with. I think there's all. It's you don't always, think they slow down the. You don't think they slow down the economy by raising rates to allow inflation to go down? No, no, no. But see, slowing down the economy is different than inflation. Growth is not inflationary. I like growth. We had really good growth in the 80s and the 90s. We didn't call it inflation. We called it growth. Economic growth is wealth creation. It's a good thing. People having jobs, people making money. That's a good thing. But wealth comes from producing more goods and services that enhance the quality of life of a society. That's wealth. And so just simply printing more money isn't wealth. You have to have more goods and services that absorb it. This is Milton Friedman 101 stuff, right? The idea that the Fed needs to slow down economic growth is to me the big misnomer. And really the problem that they have is we don't have enough economic growth. You need more economic growth to produce more goods and services. That's anti-inflationary. But we haven't had 3 to 4% real GDP growth, which we had for 70 years in our country post-World War II. We haven't had it since the financial crisis. So do you think it was political to, to forecast three cuts? Uh, Austin Goolsby says, I, you know, I don't interpret it that way. But having said that, everybody else did. Do you think it's politics? 
Um, Yes and no. I do not believe that it's crass and sinister and conspiratorial. But I don't think they want to be perceived as having their finger on the scale next year. It would have been very political to not cut rates. I mean, that would basically be uh, damaging the economy unnecessarily. In 2016, they forecast four rate hikes. We were at zero, and they didn't raise once. In 72, Arthur Burns clearly helped Richard Nixon with monetary policy. In 94, Greenspan killed Clinton in those midterms, raising rates shockingly, spiked the bond market, and then Gingrich had the huge Republican House takeover in 94. The Fed doesn't want to be perceived as being political that way. So do I think that they said they were going to cut these rates to help Biden? I don't, because here's the thing, Brian, it doesn't make sense. They've hurt Biden all year this year. So how does it help him to all of a sudden say it now but, when they could have helped him eight months ago? But David Bonson, they would they thought they were helping him by trying to tame inflation by raising rates. I don't believe that they believed anything different than I've said, that the inflation was hugely created out of the supply shutdowns of our country and that inflation was and coming the down anyway. spending that came with it. Right? But see, they could have raised rates like they did and stayed at four and a half, four point seven five. Inflation still would have come down. Why did they do the extra three quarters of a point after Silicon Valley Bank went down, after First Republic Bank went down, doing more damage to the mortgage market, housing, commercial real estate? To me, they could have theoretically, if they were just being a totally sinister political ally, um, done far more to help. It's too late. That's, this is the way elections work. Biden has no chance of running on a good economic narrative. You remember when George Bush Sr. lost to Bill Clinton in 92? That savings and loan crisis and that recession had been done since the end of 90. But the economy still hung on. Voters are not looking at like how things went the week before the election. Mm-hmm. The narrative of failed Bidenomics is baked in. So we know how this administration hates fossil fuels. And they brand on that and they take great pride in that. How do you explain oil production being all time high? Well, because first of all, I don't think they hate I don't think President Biden hates it as much as his administration hates it and the people he has to appease hate it, the far left, AOC, all of those radicals. But I also do think that it isn't the right number. The right, we're at all time high of production in terms of an absolute number, but nowhere near an all time high of the ratio of production to consumption. How much oil we need, the demand is so much higher that even though we're producing more, we're not producing as much as we used to relative to the need. So that's the real key number, and we could be. That, the Biden policies are why we're not. Our need or the world's need, because it's a global, it's a global market. It starts right? with our own need. We're not uh, producing enough our own domestic need, and we're failing to meet a world need. It is a global market, and we could be more on the gas side than crude oil. I don't think we're going to be exporting a ton of crude oil anytime soon across the Atlantic Ocean. We could certainly be exporting more to North America. Why, because of the danger? Uh, well, they don't need it. They can get it easier and cheaper from Middle Eastern countries. Right. But um, in terms of liquefied natural gas, there's no question. Europe needs it. We've increased the exports there, but we could increase them 10 times more. There's a 1,000% opportunity in liquefied natural gas right. if we have the political will to do it. And we should be build, We should have been building terminals over we, there. And they should be building terminals to receive it. Right. So they underbuilt receiving. We underbuilt sending. And that's something that we could address. And must address. And right. whether it's a Republican or Democrat in the White House, uh, we have to do it. It's a job creator. And you know who did know this? President Obama. 
He did. He knew it. He just couldn't talk about it because fracking boomed under him, and of he course. benefited huge. It, he didn't come up with it. He had he benefited he had net negative job creation in his administration if it wasn't for fracking. Right. Think about that. It's monumental. But statistic. he couldn't praise it like right. we would because it's against his base. It's an incredible irony that sometimes things happen that your political uh, forces make you not take credit for. But that's exactly right. And doesn't it burn clean? Well, of course. I mean, it's all relative, right? So does natural gas clean, burn cleaner than coal? Monumentally so. Cleaner than crude oil? Yes. And even the way we burn crude oil has now gotten significantly cleaner. So there's all kinds of technological advancements that are on the right side, but they can't say it because they took a theological opposition to fossil fuel instead of a pragmatic one. Now they're in too deep. Right. Uh, is anybody optimistic about nuclear? Uh, about our ability to build in, in America? No, I'm very optimistic about it in Europe, though. Right. They have more capacity to go quicker. Even though online. they went the other way with Japan got hit. Yeah. Now they're realizing we got to do something. And France and Germany have them, and particularly France, and they can reactivate much quicker. For us to go get permission to build nuclear, you're talking about a decade or longer. Because I see these stories about these nuclear uh, plants that are so small yeah. and less, you know, doesn't seem as complex as the Three Mile Island version. You know, you know, the world's changed quite a bit, the technology, the capacity. Uh, so you're, we're just going into an all-of-the-above energy world. You're going to have to take that approach. And uh, unfortunately, there's just going to be people on the far left that are going to kick and scream. But reality speaks louder. A couple more minutes uh, with David Bonson in just a moment. And uh, we'll continue to talk about the economy. Bob the Hour, uh, Greg Lukioff, who joined us, uh, the president of the Foundation for the Individual Rights and Expression, author of the brand-new book, The Canceling of the American Mind. Brian Kilmeade Show. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A couple more minutes here with uh, David Bonson. He manages about $5 billion. got a new book that's coming out soon. Uh, it is called Work and the Meaning of Life, coming out in early February. What can we expect, David? Uh, with the new book? Yep. Full-time, Work and the Meaning of Life. You know, I'm going to go out on the record in this book, Brian, and make the daring claim that work is the solution to our problems, not the cause of our problems. Economically, spiritually, uh, our society is uh, supposedly divided and lonely and alienated. I think a lot of those things are happening. I think they're tragic. I think work produces a purpose because we are made by God to work. And I believe that this uh, argument needs to be remade. Because you believe you can get fulfillment in work. I believe you get purpose. I think that because we were made in the image of God, that we are here to work as he did, and that we can be creative, we can be innovative, and we can serve others. You feel better about yourself when you're actually meeting a need. Right. Nobody will pay you. But if you're, but David, if you had the success you've had and you run the Bonson Group, it's easy to say, no wonder. But what about people out there that were carpenters like, uh, like Jesus? Well, I would make the argument more so for that because what a lot of people don't know when they see me as a wealthy guy managing $5 billion is I started off making sandwiches at a sandwich shop with no parents, with no money, with no place to go in the world, and work was my avenue to a better life and to better um, not only uh, uh, self-worth 
but to serving my fellow humanity in a more profound way. People like that are carpenters, those people that become Broadway stars, they started off as busboys. That journey is where we get so much of our fulfillment in life, that earned success. Right, the opportunity. That's what this country gives. I think the journey is more important than the destination. I far enjoyed my path to where I am today that I enjoy where I am today. Because you know it came out good, but you didn't have – what about the stress that you had not knowing if you were going to be successful? That stress that you call it, I think you could also call it uncertainty, risk. That's, uh, that's where reward comes from. There is no reward without risk. So I think that we have to hold those things in tension as human beings, that there is an uncertainty. And by the way, I didn't succeed immediately. There were plenty of failures. Success comes later. So through this whole process, this notion of work, I really believe we can have the, the makings of a happy life. Yeah, uh, pre, uh, pre-order it. Uh, so it's going to be great, I'm sure. Uh, work and the meaning of life. David Bonson, thanks so much. Thanks, Brian. All right, go get some more money. I want $6 billion in you managing money next time we come back. I guarantee it. <laughs> back in a moment. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's gotten much worse because Harvard and MIT have reaffirmed the president's actions, failing to understand that it's not just the president's testimony in front of Congress, it's the entire diversity, equity, and inclusion bureaucracy that is causing anti-Semitism and causing universities to be divided divided along racial, religious, and ethnic lines. It's not enough to get rid of these presidents. We have to get rid of the DEI bureaucracy that is destroying American education. In my book, I have a detailed analysis of the whole DEI. Alan Dershowitz, uh, let everybody know what was going on at Harvard. He's right. He put a book out almost instantly. I don't know how he does that. But we were all got exposed to the MIT, University of Pennsylvania, and Harvard, and their inability to even say that anti-Semitism was a problem. Maybe one guy in America was not that surprised by what's been exposed, but wants to make sure something is done. Greg Lukanoff is with us now. He wrote the book, The Canceling of the American Mind. As you just told me, Wall Street Journal's political book of the year. What what a six! But you know, we made the New York Post list. We made the Free Press list. It's been it's, it's been a people are really waking up to things being so dysfunctional on So campus. if I was sitting next to you while these presidents were being exposed like they were to the Democrats and Republicans seemed equally outraged. Yeah. What were you thinking? I was thinking that it, there was a little bit of a boy who cried wolf thing going on there that essentially they, a lot of it, their credibility depended on them being consistent and good on freedom of speech. But as everybody pointed out, Harvard and Penn were the last two uh, schools in our free speech ranking this year. The debt, Harvard was dead last. Penn was right behind it. They're not good on free speech. They show gross double standards. And when they tried to pretend that they were suddenly good on free speech uh, for anti-Semitic speech, nobody uh, nobody believed them. They had no credibility. Right. And why did it, how did it get so bad? Is this intentional? Is this gradual? Um, you know, it's it's a little combination of both. That certainly, you know, some of this stuff just kind of evolves when you have no viewpoint diversity. It just tends to get worse. But some of it very much is intentional. We, in, in the book, we call it the uh, anti-free speech movement. And there have been people who are calling for a more ideological environment. You know, uh, th- there are scholars out there who are calling for new exceptions to academic freedom for anything that would ban 
uh, any, anything that they argue is white supremacy. But as as you know from you know from CRT, that means practically anything you don't like. So like th- there's been a very intentional erosion of of free speech, the mass bureaucratization, the DEI uh, infrastructure. It's all made things worse over a long time. And the only good thing really to come out of the the anti-Semitism hearings was now everybody can see how dysfunctional campuses have become. Who is behind it? You know, I think that it. I, I, I tend to think of it as being kind of leaderless. You know, uh, but I, but as far as like some of the some of the people who did inspire um, the the bad ideas on free speech, that started with people like Herbert Marcuse way back in 1965. He he wrote a book called Repressive Tolerance. Then there are people like um, uh, Richard Delgado and the founders of of, of uh, critical race theory. The very first thing CRT people did when they got together was recommend new speech codes um, and they and it was it was a stated goal to turn uh, to turn the left you know on freedom of speech and they've largely succeeded on campus at least. and what about Howard Zinn Howard Zinn um, yeah the, the funny thing is it, like that still gets treated as if that was like a revolutionary standpoint you know like that essentially having a hypercritical of the United States kind of view of the United States was was somehow rebellious it wasn't even rebellious on campus you know okay. at the time it came out it's, it was almost taken for granted 1619 project 1619 it, it's, it's, it's 1619 is crowding out in popularity all these other attempts to do pro- proper civics Teaching, uh, we, we uh, fired my, my organization, Foundation for Individual Rights and Expression. We had a whole module, you know, on civics, on freedom of speech. And anytime we actually tried to, you know, shop these to mm. schools, we were completely swapped out by Howard Howard Zinn's project and, and 1619 were much more popular in the K through 12 space. So your worry is, yeah, people are not going to build on this and and demand massive change. Yeah, getting rid of a president will not do anything. There was a reason why they got that job. Yeah, because they reflect the view of the board. Yep. So what do you that is your worry? Yeah. Well, one very good thing came out of the Penn situation though. I mean, McGill had to step down. And not only like and some people are like, "Oh, but that's a bad sign for free speech because they were saying really she had to clamp down on free speech more." But what people don't realize is that the day after her testimony, she said, "You know what? We should give administrators more power um in order to police speech, which by the way, they already had. Canceling the American Mind is you know show, yeah. shows like how 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 bad that's been. We should delink our we should consider delinking our policies from constitutional standards, making the Problem worse, um, so she she needed to go. Uh, but the, the the same donors and alumni who were pushing for her to step down came out with this amazing vision statement on what they want the future of Penn to look like. And if and if every school in the country follows that vision statement, this could actually turn into a very positive thing. Let alone the anti-Semitism. Did you know that existed at this level? Yeah, you knew this. Yeah, no, no. I, I you know, definitely. I, I'm a naturally skeptical person. You know, uh, constitutional lawyer. But even ten years ago, when when I went out to speak at the 50th anniversary of the Berkeley Free Speech Movement, uh, you know, I, I was talking. Talking to some people who they, they'd, they'd talk about everyone wants to say we're anti-Semitic, but and then I remember someone's like they want to say we're anti-Semitic, but the poison hand of Zionism corrupts everything it touches, and I'm like, dude, you're an anti-Semite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say so, and so then it rose up. But where did people rally around the Palestinian cause? That's well, a somewhat complex. I, it, well, it, not according to the simplified politics on campus. Actually, but where was it August? Where was it October fifth? Oh, it was six. It, 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 it was already a very pro-Palestinian position on campus. And I wrote a book with Jonathan Haidt called Coddling the American Mind. And today we're actually coming out with – we're releasing a chapter just for free um, on, on Substack. 
explaining where we think how DEI can never uh, be resolved. It was always going to be fundamentally anti-Semitic. Uh, because it has this ridiculous idea of common enemy identity politics instead of common humanity identity politics. So so we have the big schools, Harvard, Yale, yep. and Pennsylvania, and we got it. Yep. MIT, all right. Yeah. But there's so many other schools out there. Yes. Is, okay, those are the those in front. But they're not the only ones with problems. University oh, no. of, you know, I'm not just to, to name any school. Georgetown. Georgetown. Okay. Georgetown was a fourth from last in our ranking. All the Ivy League did poorly. I do see some hope for Dartmouth. Dartmouth is trying some initiatives that I, that I have Princeton? some hope for. Uh, Princeton. Nondescript. Okay. Yeah, I, 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 I'm not particularly enthusiastic. Well, what about the people that of average intellect that don't have parents that graduated from there? Yeah. Uh, they have good grades, not great grades. They're gonna. We have uh, hundreds of schools to choose from. Yeah. Well, has, has it spread everywhere? And if we're parents listening right now, or students or grandparents, is there any? Is there any? Besides your ranking, is there anything yeah. we should look for when we take the tour? You know, honestly, like if I had to mobilize people for change, the number one thing I'd be telling people to to, to push for would be getting rid of restrictions that actually um, that prevent uh, competitors to K through 12 education as it currently exists and higher ed because I th- we need cheaper. School choice. Yeah, well, that, that, yeah I, I come out in favor of school choice in, in canceling American Mind. Uh, but at the same time, I think we need even more than that. You, you know, the University of Austin, you know, model, they, they started up a liberal arts college, like from scratch, that's going to have its first students. Some high year. profile names are there. What are they? Uh, uh, Barry Weiss, for example. Okay. Uh, Joe Lonsdale, you know, is helping with it. That I love that project. We need a, a thousand of those. We need high rigor, low cost alternatives because, I mean, like you, you look at some of these schools and uh, uh, going back to the elite colleges, a lot of these schools at Harvard, the, the average GPA is 3.9. Like, how do you know? How does that act- happen? Yeah, it's just it's just nuts. Like, it, it basically means your grades are completely pointless. And for all you know, you could be getting some really super smart kid from Harvard or you could be getting the, uh, the son of a legacy or a professor, you know, who got a three point seven, you know, uh, by just phoning it in. Right. So so what has happened since your book come out uh, about this before the testimony and before the anti-Semitism demonstrations? Mm-hmm. Have you seen any change? Um, definitely since the book has come out, the, the biggest change is that everybody knows there's a problem now and everybody's talking about it. And that a lot of the stuff that, um, you know, that, that some of the people were skeptical of the argument I've been pointing out for 22 years are now kind of like, OK, well, well, I'll have to admit this is a problem. How are you labeled? How do you label yourself ideologically? I'm, I'm left of center. So you're left of center and you saw a problem with this. This isn't some right wing conservative who wants to change College is conservative. No. That's not your objective. Not at all. No, I, I want I want higher education to be what higher education is supposed to be. It's about to, supposed to be the search for truth. But you say that on, on some campuses and they'll like roll your eye at you depending on the campus. They, they, they think it's primarily about, you know, diversity and inclusion. They, they, they think that the role is sort of semi-parent to, to kids. When we saw what happened at Stanford. Yeah. With the judge trying to speak, and he got interrupted constantly. I have a whole chapter on that case, uh, me and Ricky, in in canceling the American mind because it it typifies all of the uh, BS ways that we argue on campus and off campus now. And, and, I mean, he got called out, Judge Duncan got called out in the San Francisco Chronicle for getting angry uh, at the students. First of all, they shouted him down for 10 minutes, and right before he spoke, uh, a student actually shouted out, I hope your daughters get raped. Right. 
And how would you write that story up and make the judge the bad guy? I know. <laughs> there, there, was, there were people, you know, who, who basically – they were saying he got what he wanted, you know, like he, he, uh, that essentially him showing up was the real insult to Stanford. And it's amazing to watch some of, some of the coverage of, of what happened there when it's kind of like, yeah, a fifth of the class showed up to shot him down. And the equity officer – took the student side and they released her, I guess. Maybe they gave her a better position. Do we even need an equity officer? I think there's no way forward for higher ed without massively debureaucratizing. And I think the thing that people need to understand mm-hmm. about a lot of these DEI offices is time and time again, they're the ones calling for the canceling. They're, in this case, organizing the shout yes. down. You know, like, like they're, they're, I saw someone writing about, oh, it's a threat to academic freedom to tell schools that they have to cut down their DEI offices. I'm like, no, DEI offices are often a threat to academic freedom. Lastly, can you give me five schools you're encouraged by? Uh, five schools I'm encouraged by right now. I'm, I'm pleased with some of the stuff that Dartmouth is doing. Got uh, it. UVA got in our top ten. Nice. Um, uh, University of Chicago uh, is, no, seems to know what it's doing. But then there's like surprise ones out there. Like you know, well Purdue really isn't surprised. Purdue works hard. Mitch uh, Daniels. Yeah, Mitch Daniels does a great job there. Um, but also Michigan Technological University, a school that a lot of people probably never heard of. You know, it's got a like one to one liberal to conservative ratio, just about, and it's uh, it's got a great record on free speech. All right, and so if you want, to, listen, I know you're going to make your final choices uh, this year. You're getting your acceptance letters now for you college seniors, uh, high school seniors. Uh, go get uh, Greg's book. It is called uh, "The Canceling of the American Mind." Uh, pick it up now, Greg. Congratulations! Thanks so much for the insight. And finally, everybody's talking about what you've been writing about, <laughs> and hopefully they'll follow through. Back in a moment with another great person, uh, Lieutenant General Michael Lennington. He's running the Wounded Warrior Project. Don't move. Challenging conventional thought and wisdom. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. What do you have to do with the bully? You've got to punch him in the mouth. Uh, And hopefully, with the moving of ships and the announcing of this coalition, they will do that. But the problem is, as Brooke pointed out, even if you shoot the Houthis that are shooting these missiles, it's still all roads go back to Iran. You have to make Iran-imposed costs. And then finally, Kaylee, why should every American care? Well, if global shipping companies are pulling back and 15 to 20 percent of global trade flows through the Red Sea, insurance is going up. The cost of goods are going up. The price of oil is going up. We don't feel that just it's the gas pump. Guess who gets richer? Iran gets richer. Russia gets richer. Yep, And that is uh, what Michael Waltz has been outlining. As you know, he's out there in Florida when he's not doing that. He was also a Green Brave for years, worked for Dick Cheney, and just sees the economic impact of the Houthi rebels rocketing civilian ships over in the Mediterranean. A guy that's been there, Lieutenant General Michael Linnington, full-time now for the next few months. He's the CEO of Wounded Warrior Project. You all know him. and spent years in the Army. Uh, General, welcome back. Great to see you. Brian, thanks for having me Fresh back. Fresh up your appearance on Fox & Friends. I know. It's a little cold right. up here in New York. I know. It's, as you're Mr. Fitness. You're always biking around, but you really, New York is getting the best of you. You used to have Florida climate. I know, Brian. I you're getting to, soft. I, I did. I moved to Florida almost nine, eight years ago and didn't know what to expect, but it's beautiful down there. Could I just ask you, just from your expertise in the area, uh, are you worried? Oh, very uh, much. Very much, Brian. I mean, we... It, it, it's a tinderbox right now, honestly, and what's going on, not just in in Ukraine and, and the Middle East, but certainly what's going on in Israel and, and Gaza. We got a lot of uh, young people in harm's way right now 
And uh, certainly that's what we focus on in the Warrior Project is those that have served and sacrificed and need help in their transition. So it's a very dangerous world. Do you, do you um, what, what is the decision about the, their ability to rocket our commercial vessels, us for you able to knock it down? But we decided not to go to the root of the problem. The guy is actually shooting off the rockets. Yeah. I know there's a, a risk-reward ratio, but how can we continue just to sit there and hope we have the missile defense to save these ships? Yeah, Brian, I think we're well protected now from, from for, for the ships themselves. The real question is what about the commercial traffic that's, that's going, through I mean, the, yeah. is going through? We have the to escort them. Yeah, and a lot of big companies. It costs a lot of money. A lot of companies have said we're not, we're not going for a while until things quiet down a bit. Um, Does it bother you that Russia and China and Iran love that we're there? Love that we're occupied. Uh, I think we have a lot of capacity today, Brian. And I haven't been in the Pentagon in eight years, so I'm dated. But the folks I talk to that are still in the Pentagon, uh, our Navy is very strong. Certainly we have a lot of ground forces supporting our friends and allies. The real question comes, how long will this last? And then can it turn into a bigger regional conflict, which I think we all want to avoid. I mean, the last 20 years have been very tough. We served 250,000 wounded, ill, and injured of the 3.5 million that have served them. Many of those injuries uh, were sustained years ago, but are just now being treated. So the long-term effect of these conflicts on the readiness of mm-hmm. our force and the ability to recruit and retain, I know is something you've talked about a lot. Uh, recruiting and worries you too, correct? Oh, big time. No, big time. I mean, I, I'm in a lot of influencer groups, a lot of parent groups. Uh, the, the beauty is I, I still talk to all of our warriors. Some of them critically wounded would change nothing. They would do it again. And uh, we just have to inspire that same sense of patriotism and service mm-hmm. in our youth that we've had over the last 20 years. I mean, you remember 9-11, 22 years ago. What a call to serve. We were turning people away. Today we're having difficulty recruiting for the for the military. And that really does – the long-term viability mm-hmm. of the all-volunteer force is something I worry about. What about the Wounded Warrior, Wounded Warrior Project now? We're not thankfully in a hot war at this moment. Yeah, but we're growing, Brian, faster today than in the in the height of the conflict in Iraq 06 to 09 and Afghanistan 12 to 15 because, as you've written about and you know, many of the trauma faced in combat, not the physical trauma from blast injuries, burns, gunshots, those injuries heal, and we do a really good job of healing those physical injuries, but the invisible wounds of war sometimes takes years to really expose themselves. And today we're growing 70 a day asking for our help, largely for the invisible wounds of war and reconnecting. They want to reconnect with their brothers and sisters. That's why the holidays are so important. You saw the you saw the family on uh, Fox and Friends this morning. They've taken advantage of many of our programs mm-hmm. to reconnect themselves, both Army veterans back with soldiers, but also for their families. You've really stated the ship at the Wounded Warrior Project. Everyone knows it over the last few years. I know you're going to be coming to a close in the next few months. So what is the greatest need for our listeners? It still is uh, connection. Uh, well, for listeners that want to get involved, go to our website, WoundedWarriorProject.org, get involved. Either support the mission financially or if you're a warrior in need, certainly right. reach out and get some help. Um, we're, we're still a growing organization. As I said, 70 a day. We're a 1,000 almost a 1,000 teammates across the country, 25 locations. It starts with connections and benefits. Then it's direct programs and services that help veterans heal mind, body, and spirit. And then it's empowering veterans to give back uh, the veterans you, you met today, this morning, veterans all over the country, hundred and more than 100 peer support groups, 400 warrior leaders, events all over the country. And if you're a veteran in isolation today, 
reach out to us and sign up, get involved. You know, suicide rates, sadly, are on the rise again. The recent 2021 Dodson report showed that suicide rates among veterans are rising again. So we got to do all we can to reconnect veterans with the mm-hmm. programs and services that are out there. I know you're doing all you can uh, and help them out. Lieutenant General Michael Linnington, go to the Wounded Warrior Project. If you want to do something good for the holidays, go help them out. Thanks, General. Bless you, Brian. Thank you. Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. Thanks so much for listening. We come to you from New York, New York, uh, a city that is pulsating with the spirit of Christmas, yes, and a worry that something could actually happen here that goes very wrong. And why do I think that? A couple of reasons. I'm seeing these demonstrations right in my face. Uh, literally shut, uh, shutting down Grand Central and Penn Station the same day. You see, no one's really immune to it. They went up to Alec Baldwin, who I rarely agree with, but he was 100% right. He did nothing wrong. They were harassing him. If it wasn't for cops, it would have been a problem. The, these type, And these are young people uh, that you would think that you know they're getting paid. Martha McCallum at the bottom of the hour, Carl Rove standing by. Uh, we are knee-deep already in 2024, and it's still 2023, so let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. Well, look, I think President Obama is doing exactly what he should be doing, which is reminding Democrats it's time to to focus on the election. I think what he's saying to folks is it's time to, it's time to focus. It's time to be concerned. Uh, There you go. That is Jim Messina, Democratic uh, operative. The Trump machine looks to lock up Iowa, and they do have more of a machine this time. $70 million looks to put Haley in contention in Iowa, and DeSantis still has his eye on winning the caucus state. We have the latest in 2024 and uh, relative panic on the left. Number two. It is language that is meant to divide us. Um, It is language that I think people have rightly found similar to the language of Hitler. Sadly, I think that there is something perverse that has happened in our country. Oh, please. A record surge of 12,000 plus flood our southern border. Not a word from the White House and an idiotic explanation from Kamala, who blew off her assignment to stem the flood three years ago. It would have defined her had she done a good job. Meanwhile, left wing outlets and Democrats dwell on Trump's words and, as usual, already citing Hitler. Number one. It puts this on a rocket docket for the Supreme Court. They've got to get involved. They've got to get involved, first of all, because there's not much time to make a final decision. And they also have got to get involved because this is dead wrong. I think they're wrong on the law. That is the great Jonathan Turley. I have never heard him as concerned as I did last night, and we've had him with every big case. The Colorado election earthquake, a left-wing judge, judges kicked former President Trump off the ballot. Now it's going to end up, I, I guess, in the Supreme Court. Hopefully we'll get an answer quickly because uh, more states want to do the exact same thing. Carl Rove, former deputy chief of staff, a senior advisor to President George W. Bush, best-selling author, joins us now. Uh, Carl, welcome back. I thought one of these states was going to do this when it happened. Man, what uh, what a huge story. How do you categorize what uh, Colorado did? Maloney. Just shouldn't have worked. I mean, it's just. No. Yeah. Look, look, this is based on the Article 3 of the 14th Amendment that says that no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector or hold any office, civil or military, who, having previously taken an oath, 
has has engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the the Constitution. Now, first of all, what's interesting is it doesn't mention the president and mentions senator or Congress. And second of all, it says has engaged in insurrection or rebellion. You know, Donald Trump was president, not a member of Congress, and he's not been found guilty in a court of law as having engaged in an insurrection or rebellion. So, you know, there are tw- there are similar uh, challenges have been heard and re- you know and rejected, but are on appeal in Arizona and Michigan. Yep. There are twelve other states where there are uh, similar uh, lawsuits pending. Uh, to toss him off the ballot. But four states have already dismissed similar challenges. And and in 12 states, 12 other states, the plaintiffs recognizing they're playing a weak hand withdrew the lawsuit. Yep. Now, now, so, you know, it, it, this is, you know, there are lots of problems with it. But look, here's what, let's step back for a minute. This provision was passed in 1866 and in 18 uh, by the congress and ratified by the states in 1868 but it did not keep former confederates from serving in the US government in 1874 democrats won the majority in the US house of representatives for the first time in 16 years and they did so by electing 51 members to the house who were for, former confederate military or government officials including the former vice president of the Confederacy, Alexander Hamilton Stevens of, of, of Georgia. So if this was meant to keep you know, people who are engaged in violence against the government from serving, why did they let 51 former Confederate military and government officials serve in the Congress in 1874? And, and for decades thereafter, this, the Democrats, whenever they were in control in the House of Representatives, were in control because they carried the South largely with former Confederate officers and, and, and Confederate government officials. Here's Nikki Haley, cut five. What we saw in Colorado, I will tell you that I don't think Donald Trump needs to be president. I think I need to be president. I think that's good for the country. But I will beat him fair and square. We don't need to have judges making these decisions. We need voters to have make these decisions. So I want to see this in the hands of the voters. We're going to win this the right way. We're going to do what we need to do. But the last thing we want is judges telling us who can and can't be on the ballot. Yeah, is that the right tactic? Yeah, absolutely. Look. You can look. This is something that ought to, people ought to be united about. You can consider President Trump's behavior on January 6th to be abhorrent. You can consider his continuing claims that there was massive fraud that stole the election from him uh, to be delusional. You, you can say he's trying. You know, the fake electors was a reprehensible scheme. But is our democracy well served by emulating this, the practice of banana republics and saying, you know, certain people can't run for office? In an extrajudicial fashion, what, what, where is the basis? What, you know, the, for it, 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 to me, the, how weak this is. Take a look at it. The Supreme Court in Colorado is appointed by Democrats and consists of Democrat judges, and they voted four to three. Even three of their judges said, "You know what? This is beyond the pale." So, one way to solve all these and stop these little skirmishes. Uh, would be for the Supreme Court to rule, and I imagine that would just back off the other states if they rule in a majority fashion. If they rule on party lines, I, w- I think some damage could be done. But if we got a 9-0 Supreme Court decision, wouldn't this put the state's battles to rest? Yes, absolutely. So hopefully we'll get that and in the look, next few and, and, weeks. And look, again, I, think about this. The plaintiffs withdrew the lawsuits in California, that's a blue state, Connecticut, Delaware, 
blue state, Idaho red state, Kansas red state, Maine blue state, Massachusetts the bluest of blue, Montana red state, North Carolina purple state, Oklahoma red state, Pennsylvania swing state, and Utah. So in red and blue states, judges have said, you know, uh, excuse me, uh, the, the, the suits have been filed, and people have said, you know what, we're not thinking that we're going to win this thing, so maybe we just ought to withdraw it. Carl Rove, our guest, obviously. Uh, I just want people at home to hear the other side. Here is Jenna Griswold, the Colorado Secretary of State. Cut three. The fact of the matter is the Colorado Supreme Court has determined that Donald Trump did engage in insurrection and that his actions have disqualified him from being president. Uh, And I I just think the gravity of that in itself is, is just remarkable. We've never had a president inside an insurrection and then try to run for the presidency again. You know, we'll see if the United States Supreme Court weighs in. And I, of course, will follow whatever court order or decision is in place by the time that we certify the ballot. Right. And she gave a lot of her opinion through that interview. So, but yeah, wait, wait, she... wait a minute, wait a minute. She said something that is not true. Was there a lawsuit that w- held that in, in which evidence was submitted by both sides and that, and, and that under a statute, a federal statute, that, that Donald Trump was found guilty of a sedition, of rebellion? of engaging in treason against the United States. No. no, this was a state Supreme Court that was holding a, that was dealing with a with an a, with an assertion by by the plaintiffs that this had all happened. I missed it. Where was the trial? Under uh, what federal statute? Is that it's not even brought up by Jack Smith? Exactly. So, I hear you. So I want to move on, if I can, and talk about the possibility of a deal. You know what it's like in Washington to get a, a deal that matters. I think, the, I think the ground has been plowed in a way that I think something could get done with substance at the, at the border, where I don't think the Republicans will get rolled. There'll be asylum changes, uh, not just soft-sided tents. I don't want more judges. I want some asylum changes First country you step into, you apply for. If you go past that, you are ineligible to come here. Do you think something's going to be changed? I I do, and I'll tell you why. Because I think that the administration is awakening to the fact that, that this is impacting the entire country. When you have the mayors of Chicago and New York screaming about the impact on their communities, when you have El Paso, a county which voted overwhelmingly for, for Joe Biden, public elected officials saying this is hurting us. It's, they're awakening to the fact that this is a natural a national crisis. And, and look, think about this. This is what gets me. Chicago has had, I think, the number is roughly 18,000 illegal immigrants have been have have arrived in Chicago. And the, and the mayor is saying it's impossible for us to deal with this. I think there are about 180,000 that have been sent to New York. Remember, most of them by the federal government flying them into Westchester County in the dark of night. And the, and the mayor is saying this is absolutely collapsing our entire city government. Well, think about Eagle Pass and Del Rio, which together have a combined population, I think, of under 70,000. And hundreds of thousands of people are dumped in their community every year because they're right on the border. 
And so, yes, the, I, I think that the Biden administration is awakening to the fact, sure, they've got loud voices on the left saying, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But I think they're figuring out that this is affecting communities all across the country and it's causing them grave damage and is something that the country cannot simply allow to happen. This is costing us billions of dollars mm -hmm. and policy changes can cause people to stop coming to our borders. We know that because twice before, under President Bush and under President Trump, the catch and release program was ended because we sent the message, do not come, because what's going to happen is you're going to be sent back to where you came from, and, and all of the expense and effort and danger that you put up with is going to be for naught. Uh, Carl, I also want to bring you to some criticism on the Texas governor who says that we're arresting, we're doing it ourselves because the federal government has failed. The ACLU is now suing your state. Listen to what Mayor Brandon Johnson, this clown of a mayor in Chicago, said, cut 18. We have a governor, a governor, an elected official in the state of Texas that is placing families on buses without shoes, cold, wet, tired, hungry, afraid, traumatized. The governor of Texas needs to take a look in the mirror of the chaos that he is causing for this country. Every one of those people who get on a bus in Texas headed for Chicago are going there because they asked to go. They say, you know what, I want to go to Chicago. I may have a distant cousin there. I may have family there. That's where I want to go. Nobody is being, being told, you've got to get on this bus and we're shipping you to Chicago. They have to voluntarily say, I want to go to Chicago or New York or Denver or any of the places that the state of Texas is, is, is sending them. What gave the mayor of Chicago the right to say that the people that he has encouraged to come across this border by declaring his city to be a sanctuary city should remain in Texas and not seek sanctuary in Chicago? Chicago. What a hypocrite. Terrible. Uh, they want to put sanctuary city status on the ballot. He won't let it because of statements like this. This is a Chicago resident. Cut 19. I'm a native to Chicago. I was born and raised here. I'm not for the sanctuary city. And the reason why I'm not for the sanctuary city is because people have waited years to come in here legally, not just transported on these buses, dropped off in our neighborhoods, Rays of crime almost got hit several times just making it down here today. And this is ludicrous. There should not be two sets of laws. This is inner city America had it with the illegal immigrants getting three meals a day, their laundry done, spilled out on the streets, taking occupying hotels and playing fields. And that's not even that's 10,000 in Chicago. We got about 90,000 in New York City. Yeah. Look, uh, things are I, changing. I, I have, yeah. I ha look, I have sympathy for these people because they've been, they, they have been brought here under false pretenses. They have been told if you come to the Estados Unidos, you will be welcomed. But we don't have you know, we cannot allow this to happen. We cannot allow these people. We don't know how many tens of thousands of them have been lost during this process. Many of them trafficked for sex or for work as they tried to find their way here. We don't know the billions of dollars, the total of the billions of dollars that they have, in essence, paid to these cartels and to be trafficked and be brought here. But we know that this is wrong. And the way to stop it is not to say, oh, keep coming and we'll find a way to take care of you. It's to say, don't come. It is to say, stay where you are and abide by the rules. And if you want to come here, try and come here illegally. Don't be doing this. Uh, I'm going to talk to you after when we get closer. We'll probably be on the set together in uh, in New Hampshire. 
But Carl Rove, here we are, December 21st. Who's going to win Iowa? Who's going to win New Hampshire? Well, we don't know, particularly Iowa. Remember, nobody was saying Rick Santorum or Mike Huckabee or Ted Cruz. They were saying the front runner is going to win. Uh, and, and New Hampshire is going to be really unusual this year because while Donald Trump has a big lead among Republicans, remember, this is a state in which independents can vote in either presidential primary they want, and they're not going to be much of a primary on the Democratic side. So uh, right now, the pre- former President Trump has a lead in both states. If you had to bet, you'd bet on him, but you, got, you, you might want to cover your bet by betting on the field, putting some money on the field as well, because strange things happen in these first two states. And, 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 if you, and if you don't believe me, go back and look at 2000. George W. Bush wins Iowa, strong victory, goes to New Hampshire eight days later and gets whipped by 19 right. points by John McCain. So, you know, weird things happen. You were there. Uh, Carl I Rose. Was there. <laughs> Have a great Christmas, Carl. Thanks for yeah, everything. Too, buddy. And I look forward to best. talking to you face to face soon. You bet. All you, the best. You got it. 1 866 408 7669. I'm going to be able to squeeze in some calls, I promise. And then Martha McCallum coming up next. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Just want to tell you, you have a couple of days, actually till tomorrow, if you want to go to my website and you get Teddy and Booker T where I can personalize and get it out by Christmas. They told me Thursday. They said they can do it at Barnes & Noble. I'm sure they will. So uh, just go there. Just uh, It's called Two American Icons Who Blaze a Path to Racial Equality. I think you'll love this American story. Arm yourself with something if you have somebody in your Family, when you go over Christmas or the holidays, it doesn't seem too pro-American. This is a story I think you need right at the turn of the century, the 20th century, that is. Uh, also, in terms of uh, shows, I got one left in January that is uh, immediately sold quickly. So I don't want any. I want this sold out quick if I can. But it is going to be streamed on 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 one on, uh, on one nation on Fox Nation, and it's going to be in Juliet. Excuse me, Rialto Square Theater in Joliet, Illinois, 102 North Chicago. Just go and collect, get tickets at BrianKillMe.com. It's going to be a great inspirational, motivational, patriotic night. I talk about all the books. I take your questions, VIP opportunities. Uh, look at some of the comments of people that have been over the last two days, three days, I think three shows in the last two weeks. Uh, I think it's probably the most fun we'll have in quite some time, and it's conversational uh, and very Fox-friendly. So BrianKillMe.com to go get tickets and grab it there, and it'll be streamed on uh, on Fox Nation. Keep in mind, One Nation will have featured Teddy and Booker T, the TV show, this Saturday night at 9 o'clock. Teddy and Booker T. It's a, a slice of what made America great. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. They said Haley is surging because she went from 9 to 11. I went up 7 points. She went up 2 points. And it's harder to go up 7 when you're almost at the top. There's not that many points left. So I went up 7. She went up 2. And the headline was Haley is surging because she caught the sanctimonious. The Fox poll has us trouncing the primary field at 69% with the sanctus at 13% 13% and Haley at 9. And, you know, it's sort of interesting. 
So the president of the United States having a good time on the stump again because he's leading and he finally stopped thinking about uh, the last election. And he's not talking much about it. And he is talking about the court cases, which have to be worrying him. And everyone's talking about what happened in Colorado, which banned him from the ballot. Some people are saying, what's the big deal? He's got to come win Colorado anyway. It's a, huge, it's a huge deal, number one. You can't ban people from the ballot. Next thing you know, people, okay, um, certain states, uh, the very red states, are going to find a way to ban some Democrat from the ballot. Somebody's at a, a major event, and this guy, let's say a man or a woman, is extremely inspirational, motivational, gets people all pumped up. They turn around, and they do what happens after Super Bowl wins, and they wreck a city, and they go, we're going to blame the speaker on that, and we're going to ban him from Oklahoma. No longer will he be, uh, be on the ballot in Nebraska. Really? Well, what happened? Well, same thing with Trump. Uh, back in Trump in 2023, that's what Colorado did. You, you see how routine impeachment is now? I mean, I, in retrospect, Republicans made a huge mistake with uh, Bill Clinton. They overdid it. And I think a lot of people paid the, uh, the price for their careers, even though he was guilty as you can be. And he lied about it. It's all true. But they seem to have overplayed their hand with the American public, and they showed it up uh, when he won his reelection. Having said that, they also did cut some very important deals. So we got to get past this. This only makes things worse. This is why Jonathan Turley last night, when I was listening to him interview multiple times, he was absolutely crestfallen about what this means for the country. Just further things to divide you. I'm watching other channels. Oh, that's about time. Of course he did it. He's, of course he's responsible. People just were acting emotionally when they're supposed to be legal analysts. So some people are, are not. And listen, Vivek Ramaswamy says, then I'm off Colorado. Uh, you heard I played Nikki Haley for Carl Rove. He says, don't worry about it. Uh, it's wrong. It's a bad decision. You know how he has no love lost for Trump. Nikki Haley says, this is not the way I want to win. He sh- this should never have happened. Ron DeSantis said something very similar. So Colorado's got another reason to be embarrassed. I think they lost. Uh, Trump lost by about 11 points. He's not going to win this time. Now he's certainly not going to win. But we'll see what happens. Now they want to focus on. It's just so amazing. The biggest story right now in the country Outside the threat we have in the Middle East is the total collapse of the border, unprecedented way in which it's happened to the point where Democrats are actually uh, admitting it from Katie Hobbs to Senator Fetterman to uh, the uh, to the uh, the mayor of New York City to the governor of New York City. They're just blurring lines. Instead, they're focusing on Donald Trump's words. Donald Trump's words. Donald's quoting Hitler. Donald Trump's quoting Hitler. I'm watching Wolf Blitzer, who says he does news for a living. Open up first 10 minutes on Hitler and Trump. Is there a difference? Uh, One after the other. One analogy after another. I'm telling you, you can't say on one hand, Donald Trump doesn't read anything, doesn't have any sense of history. On the other hand, say, oh, yeah, he's hearkening back to World War II. Why? Because his parents were German. Trump had brought that up before, um, and he he addressed it. He, He addressed it. But he came back, back to back in, in, in saying that I'm not quoting Hitler. I never read Mein Kampf. I can't believe he had to have that statement. But instead of addressing the border and saying, by the way, I don't approve of Donald Trump's language, it does harken back to a different time. They make that the story. And it's not the story. It's the total collapse of the border. Cut 16. On my first day back in the White House, I will terminate every open border policy of the Biden administration, stop the invasion on our southern border, and begin the largest domestic deportation operation in American history. We have no choice. And he's going to. And they're, they're all talking about setting up camps in the, middle of the, in the middle of the country. I'd wait off on that. 
You don't want people thinking and being able to be labeled as somebody wants to do another internment camp that we did to the Japanese, sadly, in World War II, where we didn't trust anyone of Japanese heritage. I don't want people doing that. If you're looking to if you, if you want Donald Trump to win the election, don't make it easy to brand him something that he's not going to do. He's going to round up people. He's going to try to get rid of sanctuary city status. I think some of these city councils will uh, embrace it and they'll say, listen. You're supposed to move out here in two months. Now you're not only not going to be moving out, you're going to be moving out of the country. There's going to be a change. But I wouldn't bring up camps that people are talking about doing now. But he is going to make some major changes. I don't think anyone's going to be as sad about it at all. The man who's going to be doing it is Tom Holman. Cut 20. They say the Trump policy is inhumane. Since Joe Biden's been president, over 1,500 migrants have died on U.S. soil. An historic record. 112,000 Americans dead from fentanyl has come across an open border. Sex trafficking of women and children at all time high, like up 600%, right? And, and the no inspector terrorists. Under President Trump, in four years, we got 11. In September this year, they got 18. Last year, 227 on, on the southern border. At the same time, 432 on the northern border. 659 in one year, people off the terrorist watch list. And Trump, 11 in four years. She don't know what she's talking about. Their policies are inhumane. And, and to sit there and say this is a Republican mess, no. They have the most secure border in my lifetime. And they purposely unsecured the border. Joe Biden's the first president in the history of this nation who came into office and unsecured the border. On purpose. He made it clear and he stopped building the wall. You tell the, you go to the Border Patrol right now. Just go down there if you can, if you live there. Just ask any of them. Uh, does the wall help to say, yeah, is it solving everything? He goes, no, but it absolutely helps. Some people say, well, they cut off some uh, some of these pipes and they're, some of the bollard fencing, they're cutting through it. Yeah, but they have to cut it through it. While they're doing that, you can stop them. If you had enough border patrol, it's to funnel people a certain direction. And then when they get to the ports of entry, say you can't come in. You don't qualify because your country sucks, does not get you in here. And then you penalize the countries they leave. And then you tell them to crack down on their cartels or they lose some aid. And not every time it's going to work. What you do is you rattle the cages of everybody. You stop the, all these people saying, thank you, Joe Biden. Here's uh, Chris Christie, cut 26. Uh, we'll talk about the immigration plan later. But I will say this, that people who immigrate to this country legally, no matter where they come from legally, are not poisoning the blood of this country. They are the blood of this country. Every one of us came from someplace else. Right. Uh, and what, who, what he's referring to is poison the blood is a, is, a, is a reference, I guess, Hitler made. What he's trying to do, what the president's trying to do in the most colorful language possible, in my view, I have not spoken to him. In the most colorful language possible is trying to say, we're here. We've got this great country. We don't know where anybody's coming from. We need, needs to stop until further notice. And I even think Chris Christie knows that Donald Trump is not talking about legal immigration. And by the way, some of the people coming through the border, yeah, there's Africa, there's Central America, there's South America. There's also Slovenia. There's also China. So anyone who wants to say anti-Hispanic, anti-minority, it's not. It's, it, people just want to come here because the country's great. Rob, you're in Virginia. Hey, Rob. Hey, guys. Hey, Brian. Great show as usual. Thank you. Uh, I, wanted to, I wanted to point out something. The Democrats have been saying over and over that Trump vomited a uh, insurrection. And like Jonathan Turley pointed out, he hasn't been found guilty of it. My question is this. If they're going to say he conspired to vomit or cause an insurrection, what do you call it when a whole panel of all Democrat 
Supreme Court judges in uh, Colorado or the Colorado Supreme Court conspires to kick him from the ballot. And what's spookier, a bunch of J6ers who are now sitting in jail or a panel of judges? Who has more power to damage this country? The, the, the people sitting in jail right now or Supreme Court justices of a state? Who has the power to actually do something to harm the country? I hear you. Good point. I like the comparison. Um, I, the J6ers, listen, uh, the day was a regrettable day. Donald Trump's got to regret it every single day. Everybody that went in there regretted every single day. But uh, these people are passionate for the country. I don't think they're criminals. I understand there's got to be some punishment for what they did in some cases, but people just walking through the Capitol should not be uh, should not be vilified. Understood. But terrible day. No one says J6 was uh, no big deal. It was a huge deal. And we're never going to hopefully never going to see it again. We're going to be aware of it. But also know what led up to that. Part of the reason was the National Guard, when it came down and was trying to guard the White House, they were told they couldn't even stay in the Capitol. They couldn't stay in hotels. They were kicked out by the mayor. Nobody wanted to have anything to do with law enforcement. We're coming off George Floyd. They looked at cops as the bad guys and the National Guard as evil. So they were sleeping all over uh, the Capitol, literally on the ground. And there was a sense that we have to have a low profile with law enforcement. If there was some type of law enforcement, this whole thing would have been left out by the bike racks. So so when we come back, we're going to have a few minutes with Martha McCallum and she gets set for her show at 3 o'clock, the story. And then I'll take some more of your calls. Uh, Keep it here. Brian Kilmeade Show. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. It's an abomination. It's an abomination from a legal point of view and mostly from a moral point of view. What about the people of Colorado? Don't they have a right to vote for the candidate of their choice? What about all the down-ballot candidates in Colorado who are going to be affected as a result of, if it went through, not having Donald Trump at the top of the ticket? These things are just power plays designed to be anti-democratic, and I I cannot stand it, because when one party does it, the other party will do it. And they keep breaking the norms, and the Republicans match, but the Democrats keep breaking the norms first. Yeah, and and they will match, and I think my scenario is 100 percent correct. It's never going to be Joe Biden. Joe Biden can't speak, horrible speaker, yells the whole time. But there will be a charismatic Democratic speaker out there who will cause people to take action and push back on whatever the hot issue was in five or six years. And they're going to get go crazy like they would do with Philadelphia after they win a World Series or Super Bowl or New York, by the way, or Detroit. And they're going to rip things down and people are going to die and people are going to go or the city's going to burn. And then that state is going to decide that that person, woman or man, is going to be banned from that state if this can stand. What I hope is Supreme Court takes this 9-0, let them run. We deal with the rest of this. Ron, listening on WABC in New York. Hey, Ron. Hey, how are you, Brian? Happy holidays to you. Thanks for listening. Um, Same to you. Of course. I watch you all the time. And on Gutfield, it's always fun. Even when you're not there, it's fun. I know. On back at my expense. <laughs> of course. I'm used to it. I'm one of you. So I'm used to it. Real men take it. I'm sorry. Thank you. Um, so here's the thing. So, you know, like the Boston Tea Party, insurrection against the Brits. But we have here an insurrection against a a president, against a party, against people that were peacefully on January 6th, just in curiosity walking through. Why hasn't and what is the mechanism that the Supreme Court wouldn't want to hear something that seems like 
as a U.S. citizen, I feel like uh, one very one-sided in that. But, Ron, no I think really- that, for example, let's say you or I were just walking through there, and we saw, we said it got out of hand, and a couple of our friends went crazy, and we just walked through. We're not going to damage anything. And then they, get, they catch up. They raid our house and arrest us. It's up to me and you to get our own lawyers. That's not a Supreme Court thing. I see. I see. So really it's up to us yeah. um, to uh, do what we have to do and exhaust all that we can before they really ever chime in. Is that what it is? That's what it is, Ron. So it's not a Supreme Court thing unless it was a, a comprehensive look at what happened on January 6th. But thanks so much, Ron Long Island. Appreciate it. Have a great Christmas. Uh, with us right now is Martha McCallum, who's set to host her show at 3 o'clock today, going from TV to podcast to radio. What medium are you really worried? Did, I don't know, are you too I, intimidated? I'm trying to get these on today. Um, right. You realize, why, why is it that those headsets seem to get everyone? I don't know. Because in the 70s, they were funny. commonplace. Um, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm great. It's good to be with you, as always. I was just finishing a podcast that ran over, as you know. We're always all running. Well, you more than most people running from one thing to the other. So, all day long. so we just obviously around seven o'clock things changed last six thirty last night. Things dramatically changed with Colorado. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I, I think it's fascinating to see that Nikki Haley, Ron DeSantis, even Governor Christie are all saying it's wrong, not the way I want to do it. Well, I think sometimes there's um, and, and even that people that on the other side of the aisle. I mean, so, sometimes things are just so obviously they just sit so wrongly with everyone that, you know, for for a team of seven Supreme Court people in Colorado to suddenly decide that they do not want to, um, you know, that they don't that they don't want this to go through any process. They don't care that he hasn't been found guilty of insurrection. They're going to find him guilty of it on their own and take him off the ballot. And you can you know you can kind of look at it two ways. It's the gut reaction, which I think is maybe more important in this situation than the political reality that uh, it probably won't make a difference just in terms of numbers for President Trump. And if anything, it it probably accelerates him when you look back at the great impact that indictments have had on his candidacy. I think you do what I do since we're not lawyers. Every time something comes up, I try to get ahead of it and say, well, what are the chances of him going to jail, for example? Right. So when this when they started doing this thing from state to state, everybody I asked said, oh, it's not going to amount to anything. And they, you see all of a sudden they've gone after to try to kick Trump off the ballot of Minnesota, New Hampshire, Florida. Um, uh, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Maine, Oklahoma, Indiana, Idaho, and didn't work. They got 13 ready to do it, uh, 13 more ready to do it. And I thought to myself, what are the odds that one's going to hit? And the one is hit is the one that Hickenlooper put five, the former governor put five uh, justices on. The other uh, Polis put two on, four, three. They decide he's ineligible to come on. When the secretary of state comes out and speaks, she sounds like a, just a cheerleader for Joe Biden, does not even sound deliberative at all, and then is probably going to go up to the uh, Supreme Court. And in the end, it looks like that Donald Trump will get an additional wind at his back at a crucial time right before the caucus and primary if everything goes according to the Jonathan Turley's of the world. Yeah, I mean, I think people like to see a judicial system that is a process. They like, in most cases, to see a jury decide things. Uh, look, I mean, Jack Smith would have loved to make this uh, assessment of uh, insurrection on Donald Trump. He's still working on it and hasn't been able to do it. I would also just mention that when you look at the states that are still out there with these issues, uh, Nevada's on that list. South Carolina's on the list. Uh, 
Arizona is on that list, Nevada. So you've got Can't places that are yeah. that are battleground states where they and they're very purpley. <laughs> so who knows which way this kind of decision would go. But the idea of taking this out of people's hands um, and allowing people to vote for who they want to vote for when they walk. You know, anyone can run for president. That's the country that we grew up in. Right. And this is a person who and then I heard someone in call, you know, just a man on the street say, um, yeah, well, you know, 91 indictments. I mean, that sounds pretty bad. I don't think you should be able to run. <laughs> oh, my God. I mean, that is not the system that we have. You have to have a conviction. You have to have a process for some of these things to begin to kick in and become questions. And they've just leapfrogged all of it. I think it's very unsettling. So we used to have a 5 a.m. show, 4 a.m. show. So I have to find live in the morning when I get in. So I was watching CNN. I have to give an excuse. Uh, and they did a story. And I said, OK, it's going to be a typical Trump story. It was a little different. They went to Iowa, and they had uh, one of their reporters do a story on Trump's team in Iowa. It is a huge team. It is a machine. And he did not want to say it. And he's saying, this is a machine. And after just because Trump is not there all the time, it doesn't mean they're not consolidating the caucuses, making sure people understand you got to be motivated to vote. Trump wants two convincing wins and ice yeah, the field. Yeah, you're out. absolutely right about that. Even without the 1400 threshold. Yeah. So I, I, I think he's gonna have trouble doing it. How do you muscle your way in? Don't you can't stop me from doing South Carolina. You can't stop me from Super Tuesday. But that they have an operation, and I think you got to give him credit. I mean, with Susan Wiles, it's Susan Wiles, right? Yeah, Susie Wiles. What she's doing is pretty impressive. It, it is, and um, I, I think you can't underestimate, even given everything that has happened and all the trials and tribulations of the Trump campaign, incumbency is a very significant factor. In Who's your lead lives. guest or one of your guests? Well, we're going to have Nikki Haley on uh, this job. afternoon, so we'll talk about right. where she's headed. Martha McCallum, thanks so much for the quality time. Have a fantastic <laughs> Christmas. Brian. You too. Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.